This is FortiCast, the podcast about Fortinet technology. I'm Alexa Rowe. For this episode, Chris Hins, Director of Product Marketing for Wireless, and Ben Wilson, VP of Product Management for Wireless, discuss Wi-Fi 6. Please listen. Hi, my name is Chris Hintz. I am a Director of Product Marketing here at Fortinet. I have all the wireless stuff. I've got a real treat here because I've got our PM for wireless, Ben Wilson, who usually is not here in the same location as me. Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks, Chris. And the interesting thing is I've learned just now how to pronounce your name properly because I've always called you Chris Hines. Yeah, it's there's Chris a lot Hines. of that. Well, that's good to know. My name's Ben, Ben Wilson. I'm VP of product management for all the wireless products here at Fortinet. I've been at Fortinet about five years now and fairly regular contributor to the Forticast. There's a few of those out there, but I'm pleased to be talking about this one specifically about wireless because kind of wireless is my career roots, really. Sounds good. Sounds good. And I grabbed you because I want to talk Wi-Fi 6. And there's been okay. lots of conversations about that. You know, it's an interesting technology, of course. But I think even though there's a lot of papers out there, it's always good to kind of run through the basics and give people a good primer on what this is all built out of. The first one that I see as the big hype metric that everyone talks about is OFDMA. Seems like everyone says, oh, Wi-Fi is going just like cellular. What's your take on how OFDMA fits in? And first, tell us a little bit about basically what it does. So OFDMA is, I think, is long overdue, to be perfectly honest with you. 802.11ax or Wi-Fi 6 as it's called. It's a really interesting piece of technology because previously standards have mainly been around speeds and feeds. Mm -hmm. There's not been a lot of things that really push the boundaries on making things more efficient. Sure, in 802.11n, we did a little bit with the management stuff, you know, the management yeah. overhead to try and press that a little bit, all those type of things. But 802.11ax Wi-Fi 6, it really pushes high efficiency. Yes, it's faster, but it really pushes high efficiency. And as you say, one of the things around that is OFDMA. And OFDMA, pretty simply put, is the ability to take a channel and split it into multiple sub-channels or to give them their official name, resource units, because, you know, sub-channels would be much too easy for everybody to understand. So we like to call them resource units. Well, I'm sure we need a new acronym. If there's one thing I know about the IEEE, it's they love their acronyms. We were running out of them, so we had to create some new ones. So resource units, and that actually, although it's been talked about before with 802.11ac, for the first time, it really gives you the ability to talk to multiple clients at the same time. And it really is the ability to do that as opposed to splitting spatial streams of, you know, doing it from that perspective. This is really... I'm going to assign these resource units to this client and talk to this client and send this information to this client. It's actually a massive step forward. And yes, is the basis of the technology used elsewhere? Absolutely. But if it's going to work for Wi-Fi, we should absolutely use it in Wi-Fi. And that's what 802.11ax is, you know, pushing with that. And not just for 5 gigahertz this time, for 2.4 and 5 gigahertz. So... It's and that's so actually good. a really important distinction, right? Because as you hint at, AC did some stuff, but it was all 5 gig. So 2.4 was sort of stuck just with N as the latest and greatest. Yeah. So bringing all this to 2.4 is really valuable. And what I think is really cool is because you are getting better efficiency, you are not necessarily paying the same price that you had to pay 
with some of what AC tried to do, where you needed extra big channels because we started doing 20, 40, 80, 160, which viably just wasn't going to happen in 2.4. This sort of efficiency gain really can work even in a fairly congested 2.4 channel. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's some real key things. I mean, talking about congested environments, I guess one of the other things that happens in 802.11ax is BSS coloring. Yeah. Because one of the congestion points has always been spectrum reuse. And especially when you look at 802.11ac using multi-user MIMO, I think it's safe for us all to say that the reality of that situation is is that you needed real almost directional RF separation for it to work properly. Yeah, and from everything I ever saw, while there was a lot of hype around it, doesn't seem like real-world environments took a lot of advantage of MU-MIMO. No, absolutely not. It's one of those things that in principle looked like it was going to work really well. But actually getting separation on the RF side to kind of do that kind of beam forming in order to do it, you know, will always prove, I think, problematic in the real world to take any kind of real life advantage of it. And, you know, touching on the BSS colouring with the spectrum reuse, I think it's a really important thing that it's always been about collision avoidance. It's still about collision avoidance, but it just means that with BSS colouring, because BSS is assigned a colour as well as a channel, so to speak, it means that there's a lot more process and control over that clear to send, all that kind of thing, which is the real key to me to taking Wi-Fi to the next step. People still think of Wi-Fi as two channels next to each other, half the bandwidth, double the latency, <laughs> right? Yeah. I hope I'm not talking... 2002, 2003, still uh, here. I don't use thermal paper in my fax machine anymore. <laughs> but it seems clear to me that that is still out there, and, and rightly so, because that is still the very core basis of how Wi-Fi works. CSMA, it, it's all about collision avoidance. With BSS colouring, it's going to put a lot more ability to be able to manage that, change power settings, all those type of things on the fly so that you can make much more use of the spectrum, even if it's in the same channel. You know, it gives you the right. ability to be able to process and do that a lot better. And one of the things I actually thought was fun about what's going on with BSS coloring is, for once, it's almost like we're using what used to be called way back in the day, the hidden node problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like we're now we're hidden using node. that to our advantage. Absolutely. We're saying, hey, look, man, that guy's not going to get interfered with by my packet. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. So instead of me deferring and wasting ch effective channel time for somebody that is not going to be about, I'm just going to transmit. Yeah. And using these two different thresholds to say, okay, inside my network, sure, I'm going to play nice. Overlapping, odds are actually not going to be a problem exactly i remember installations i did going back what year are we in now 2019 <laughs> called the better part of 20 years ago and people were talking about spatial reuse then and you know my argument always was that i used to see clients which would have an rssi of say neg 55 mm -hmm. but there'd be an interfering ap which it would be seeing at neg 80 now there was 25 db you know, separation between those two. So most of the time it would be okay, but you were always having to do so much manual tweaking, so much. Oh yeah. You had to just dial it in oh, perfectly yeah, to try and yeah. get, especially because clients don't always make the best decisions. No, this is true. And there's also the reality that clients typically can't transmit anywhere near the level that an AP can. Correct. So you knew that it wasn't going to be a problem. But clients in the old have got standard, smarter though. They have. 
Planes have gotten better. It's nice in that sense. Now, the power stuff, you only know what you receive. It just is what it is. But I agree with you. The progress and evolution in clients is interesting. And I think that allows some of these things because you can now trust a little bit more into clients handling things than you ever used to be able to. Actually, thinking about clients and the different types of clients, one thing that I see a lot debated now is, okay, so we've got this lovely new Wi-Fi 6 coming out. But on the client devices, particularly cell phones, which has become sort of the ubiquitous, any sort of wireless client, we're going to have 5G. Yeah. And of course, there's nothing the media loves more than to position this as a battle to the death. (laughs) Um, So who's going to win? Is Wi-Fi 6 going to win or is 5G going to win? This just feels to me a little bit like deja vu. Yes, absolutely. It seems like every time there's been a new technology, there's been a lot of argument and these things are going to compete there's going to be one winner at the end of the day. But when all is said and done, it seems historically there's been a niche for both. What do you think? I don't think there will be one winner. That's my honest opinion, is that I don't think there will be one winner. There won't be one ring to rule them all, so to speak. I think a lot of the time people forget how necessary it is to have truly private networks. There are companies previously who have tried to give you private cellular networks. Yeah, that's actually not new. Not at all. There's been several companies that have tried to do it. And it's always come across issues like, you know, a lot of the spectrum that's used for cellular. There is some free spectrum that 5G uses, but a lot of the spectrum is owned by carriers who have paid billions and billions of dollars, pounds, euros. I'm sure they'll be okay if just a random company starts interfering, right? Yeah, why not? I'm sure I could just throw up my own cell phone tower for my own private cell network. You know, we know how these things work. Wi-Fi is designed to be able to give you your own private Wi-Fi networks, and you have ultimate control over that. You have ultimate control over the encryption keys that are used on it. You have ultimate control over where that network traffic goes. You have ultimate control over the segmentation of it, whether you do it via VLAN or whatever. At the moment, maybe it's a problem with my vision, but I can't see it any time within the next couple of years, at least, going anywhere else. Because the difficulty is always going to be, where do I draw the line from a, even from a security perspective? I mean, we're a security company. I'll tell you what 5G may well do, though. 5G may well drive even more the adoption of VPN. That's a good point. It may well do that. And if there's any place where I could see being eroded, it's funny. It's a place that Wi-Fi has always struggled. And that is these large sort of citywide Wi-Fi networks. And interestingly, there are some successful cities out there. There But I think we've both been in the industry long enough to know that there's been lots of unsuccessful ones. It sort of got partially rolled out or fully rolled out, and then everything cratered because there really wasn't a business model. Yeah. So I can see maybe some of those being, we're just going to use 5G because everyone's got it. Yeah, 100%. But I don't think that's a big loss. Well, look at the drivers, why those smart cities were put in place. It's because cellular couldn't give people the bandwidth to be able to browse <laughs> very the true, and get the very services, true. right? You know, with 5G, even with 4G today now, I don't really have those issues anymore. I have density issues with 4G sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. You know, I'm still young enough to go to festivals and concerts from time to time. That hasn't quite left me yet. But those kind of events... There are often problems Mm -hmm. with being able to upload to social media and that type of thing. The necessary things. The necessary things, of course. Obviously, I'd be deeply hurt if my Instagram wasn't updated with what I'd have for lunch. But it's a real problem. And then people move on to Wi-Fi sometimes when the cell isn't working. 
And then there have historically been issues with Wi-Fi saturation and capacity yeah. and, that, and that type of thing in those type of venues. So I actually think there is a genuine great need for both things to work side by side well. I think there's a place for both. And there's Hotspot 2.0 and these other things which allow you to offload between one to the other. I think it might even be a driver for us to do even more integration on that side. That sounds like potentially a, a new 40cast at some future date, talking about some of that trade-off. Always happy to do new 40cast. There we go. Now, obviously we're not talking about Wi-Fi 6 for zero reason whatsoever. We actually just released a couple APs, some really neat APs that have some unique features for the market, things that are unique not just in terms of what Wi-Fi 6 APs do, but there's some things that Fortinet hasn't done before. Particularly, I'm thinking of some of the tri-radio things we're doing. So can you take us yeah. through some of the really cool stuff we're doing with these Wi-Fi 6 APs? Sure. So we've just launched the U431F and the U433F. There are universal series APs. So they work with our cloud platform. They work with our wireless controller platform. And they work with the controller built into the 40 gate. And just to be clear, that means any of our solutions. Exactly. Any of our solutions, these universal APs will work with. They are 802.11ax. They are dual 5 gigahertz. So you can have two radios running, each of them in 5 gig. You can also have the third radio that's in there. And by the way, this is the first time we've done a three radio access point. With those three radios, you've actually, I think, you've got a single platform which is capable of being deployed for any purpose. So in the past, people have put dual radio APs somewhere. They've sometimes had dual radio APs and they'll turn one of the radios that isn't giving them capacity anymore into a scanning radio. Right, for, for WIPs, WIDs, or maybe location, or yeah, whatever exactly. they wanted to you do. Know, presence analytics, whatever it is. So what we've done is created this platform where you can do everything in a single platform. So it can be a 2.4 gig radio, it can be a 5 gig radio, and the third radio can be a scanning radio. It can be dual 5 gig and scanning. It can also be dual 5 gig, and the third radio can be a 2.4 gig service radio. So you can actually have clients connected to it. Oh, wow. So it. I'm not necessarily giving up on the 2.4. Correct. That's kind of what I was thinking about earlier. We haven't really seen that in the market before. We've certainly seen the ability to have dual 5, but I'm trying to think. I can't think of anybody who's offered one where moving to dual 5 doesn't basically mean I'm punting on the 2.4 band. Yeah, correct. I've had many discussions, sometimes animated, with various industry colleagues over the years. Some of them have said 2.4 will never go away. Some of them have said 5 gig will completely replace 2.4. As ever, the truth is actually somewhere in the middle. That is life. Yeah, I remember um, seeing the shirts going around for a while saying 2.4 is dead, and yet here we are. There's still plenty of 2.4 out there. Exactly, exactly. You fire up any kind of analyzer type of product and see how much 2.4 traffic is out there. It's a lot. But what we do tend to see is that a lot of the smaller IoT headless devices, they all tend to be, not all of them, but a lot of them tend to be 2.4 gig centric. So this platform gives you the ability, for example, to segment that. You could have your two 5 gig radios for your bandwidth hungry clients, your laptops, your, right. your iPads, some sort of mission, mission critical applications. Exactly, exactly. And then the 2.4, that can be there to deal with the telemetry, IoT style stuff. But it's one footprint product that is capable of being to put into all these different modes and allows you to have it across the entire campus. 
scaled up to whatever you want. It's got a multi-gig port on it, 2.5 gig Ethernet port on it uh, as well. Well, that's a first for us as well, right? That's a first for us as well, and that's to line up with our multi-gig switches, which are due out soon as well. So we're really kind of pushing things forward. And this three-radio solution, the 431, is internal antennas. It's got a 40-net ID, if you like. Um, That's the way we like to think of it. We're putting a lot of effort into streamlining, simplifying, and making sure that everybody from users to partners to our own employees can really position these things and come from a position of strength. That's great. I'm really excited to get this AP out there and really have people see what we've been working on because I think this is a really, really nice AP. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a little while in development. We've put a lot of effort into it, and I think it's going to be a real key move forward for us. One of the interesting things about our 802.11 AXAPs is that we won't be supporting virtual cell functionality on those anymore. You wrote a really nice blog piece about that. Yeah, I did. I think one of the things that is hard for us here is that that was a technology that we were really, really proud of. Yeah. This was not just kind of a tick box feature to us. There was a lot of history behind it. But, you know, we talked a little bit about clients earlier and we talked about how clients have matured and the standard itself has also matured. I mean, my goodness, I'll out myself a little bit. I was going to IEEE meetings back in 2000. Wow. And I think about the sort of things that we were talking about and working on then. And then I look at like what AX did. And there's just this massive growth in capabilities in the standard. Things like 11R came along and completely revolutionized how roaming could occur. There was so much in both K and V. I I tend to think of those as, uh, I call them toolbox specs. You know, there's not this one marquee thing that you're going to say it does blank, but there's so many mechanisms in those that really can help a network sing its way along. And in the terms of roaming, there was like the neighbor reports. Before, a client really had to scan and it better find something because if it didn't find something completely utterly on its own, too bad. It was stuck on its roam. Now we have so many better ways for it to find things with neighbor reports. Fast roaming means it can actually get that roam across in not just non-human noticeable time, but in application non-noticeable time. Yes, 100%. Which is yeah. really, really cool. And then, heck, we talked about BSS coloring. That improved some of it. And I always think it's kind of cool when I first started hearing about what they were doing with BSS coloring. Like, Wow. That's some of what we were trying to solve with VC. I mean, we actually have some of the same logic in virtual controller to be able to make that single channel network work. That is what they were doing with BSS coloring. And so while it's sad to move on, I think it's kind of the right time. The standards have matured. Yeah, absolutely. The standards have matured tremendously. OFDMA is, to a certain extent, is an AP decision, right? Yes, it is. And and that's very much was one of the ways that vCell was always positioned was that you're actually putting the infrastructure in charge rather than the client because however many years ago, 20, 25 years ago, the decision was taken with Wi-Fi that the client would make the decision. Well, um, the funny thing is the decision was always in the spec to allow either. Yes. And it just never got deployed that way because yeah. the technology wasn't mature enough to really make that work. So for the wonks out there, they'll remember that there was PCF from the earliest days. <laughs> wow, you are going back there. Right? Yeah, exactly. The point coordinating <laughs> function, it's just nobody really implemented it. And then yeah. they tried again when they did the quas standard and they had sort of the hybrid controller that had some mechanisms and that still never really caught on. Yeah. 
But I think this time, I think everybody believes it's going to stick. The benefits of OFDMA are so clear that no one's going to resist it this time. Plus, as you talked about, cellular's doing that technology. Yeah, exactly. So arguments of it can't be done <laughs> aren't going to fly. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like multi-user MIMO where you need a certain preset of conditions for it to even be slightly effective. The way AX has been developed from a high efficiency, and, and yes, it's not that it isn't faster. You know, there's 1024 cam in there. But you know the way it's been developed from a high efficiency perspective it really is kind of like the next piece in the Wi-Fi jigsaw. Yeah. I really believe that. I think it'll be a real watershed moment for wireless. Yeah, and so while I'm sad to see VC go, I'm also pretty excited. Yeah, because, me too. Because me too. I know how much Michael, one of our founders, believes in innovation. Yes. And so I know there's no way in the world he's going to see an innovative feature for its time go away and not want to see his engineering group continue to innovate around wireless. So I think it's a really cool opportunity to see what we're going to come up with next. And I'm excited, especially since looking to you to spearhead that to see what you and the engineering teams will come up with. So hopefully we'll again have another 40 cast on that when it comes out. Yes. I mean, I could tell you what we're working on, but I'd have to kill you. Well, and so, you have to shoot, uh, our, shoot our engineer as well. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So and anybody who listened to this, so, yeah. you know, that'd be no good. It's definitely true, though, that innovation is really at the heart of everything we do at 40Net always innovating you only have to look at our patent wall to see that yeah i actually snapped a picture of that to put in the blog because i I don't think people appreciate just how much fortinet believes in that and how much it's embedded into our culture exactly it is so i think rest assured we're always looking at ways to innovate and this is a good way forward for us to do that as well Wonderful. Ben, thank you very much for your time. I know you're still a little bit jet lagged, so I really appreciate you sitting down with me for recording today. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the next 40Cast. You can find information about 40Cast on our website, 40cast.fortnet.com. This episode was edited by Victoria Martin. Our executive producer is Darren Turnbull. Our music is from bensound.com. You can listen and subscribe to 40Cast in Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. If you have any questions, our email is 40cast at fortinet.com.